Conversations podcast. Today we're joined by my friend, the longest uh, running member of the Vine Church that I know of. He's been with us for 12 years. Not um, named Nielsen. Not named Nielsen, exactly. Um, my friend David Jordan, he's also an elder. And he uh, has been with us a long time, cares a lot about music and how we structure our services. Um, and so David decided to uh, come on the podcast because it thought it, he thought it'd be just great that we could explore why we do music the way we do with the Vine, why our services are structured the way that they are. And, uh, and so just thought we'd have a great discussion about that. Thanks, David. Yeah, Zach, great to be here. I think I'll maybe lead us off jumping right into the fire. Do I love you remember it. the worship wars? Uh, I do, uh, but for those that weren't alive during that time, might maybe you want to set some context. Yeah, so this comes probably around the '90s. It started yeah. where we started to have this movement in the church of contemporary music. A lot of what we'd see today, even Sundays at the Vine, shifting from the organ and the piano and. Mm-hmm plowing through some hymns to praise songs and guitars and worship bands. And this was extremely controversial for yeah, a number for sure. of years. For sure. I feel like it's maybe not the same today. No. But I think probably you and I both, with our age, maybe both grew up in that a little bit mm-hmm. and were shaped by that dynamic. Yeah. Um, and Zach, I think you came out um, earlier in your uh, adult life. You were a... Uh, a worship pastor yep. early on. And I, th- I think it'd be great to hear kind of your experience there starting that path and how that kind of led you to some experiences around what a worship service looks like. Yeah. So I was kind of raised in ministry. I mean, the reason why I'm a pastor today, a lot has to do with um, a local ch- church leader in Cedar Falls, Iowa came to me at 20 years old and said, Hey, we're going to start this contemporary worship service, which meant at the time meant drums, guitars, um, kind of mega church style worship. Um, the, the reason I say that is because back then really the only churches for the most part that were doing more, um, pop rock for lack of a better term, um, music were the big churches. And a lot of smaller churches were really influenced by that. And there was a desire to be relevant. There was a desire to not be boring. And, you know, some some desires that uh, may be secondary, tertiary in importance, but it was definitely there. And so uh, Cedar Falls, Iowa, you know, 40,000 people, University of Northern Iowa, that's where I went to college. And this local church leader asked me, because he knew I was a musician, had some experience with bands and stuff. So you want, you play piano and a little bit of a little bit of guitar. I, yeah, just I just started playing guitar um, when I got married, so a couple of years later. Um, but I was leading from the piano and and uh, I meant to make that joke the other way that you oh. play a little bit of piano, but you can edit that out later. <laughs> <laughs> totally yeah, exactly. missed it. <laughs> no, it's all good, man. It's all good. But anyway, um, so so uh, yeah, just contemporary music. I don't even like that term anymore, but like that's what we called it back then uh, was kind of controversial, like having drums and, and guitars in church and having songs that had more of a, a modern feel with verses and choruses that were different than typical hymns. 
Um, that was really controversial. I mean, we people were were leaving churches over these things. Um, lots of lots of debate. Uh, I remember, you know, one guy at that first church I worked at just saying like these songs you can't sing along to. Nobody knows where it's going. You know, like um, if you have notes on a page in front of you, that's far superior to. You know, he he had a case to be made, but yeah. So that's really how I got into ministry is in in that kind of a context, and that was, you know, twenty six years ago. And it, it seems like in that movement, there's the the musical shift, both in terms of which instruments, as well as um, song song structure. Right. You know, four verse hymn switching to verse chorus, verse chorus bridge. Right. But there's also a structure of service change that maybe came with that, right? Yes. Um, where some of the liturgy, speaking broadly, of the service changed dramatically. What do you remember seeing in that time? Yeah, I mean, it was very, very... Like, I was raised in a high church, um, meaning more formal Lutheran church, where the liturgy, um, liturgy meaning like the the order of the service, was very formal and very rigid. Um, and the pendulum kind of swung the other way. Uh, to basically just get a band on stage, sing some songs, have a worship leader prayer that was heartfelt and informal. Preacher gets up, preaches uh, a message, and we all go home. And it was it was uh, very informal. Um, you, you get bonus points if the worship band magically appears and disappears during prayer exactly. as well, right? Totally. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, prayer oh, yeah. leveraged super hard <laughs> for stage transitions. Yeah, that prayer model. better be long enough or mm-hmm. else we can't get plugged in. Yep. Um, no, but uh, I think what really evolved after that was a lot of churches and a lot of musicians and pastors desiring um, to have more of a thoughtful structure in the order of, of service. And that was really the vine 10 years ago. We, um, we just decided that we wanted to be a little more intentional and thoughtful with how we structure our services. Yeah. I think there's like this movement, you know, early two thousands. And from my point of view, I remember, you know, in high school, so circa 2000, 2005, very involved at a large church here in town, sang on a worship team every week, four part harmonies. Mm -hmm. We rocked it out Mm -hmm. contemporary style. Um, but then right at the end of high school, I remember a friend introducing me to a group that rewrote hymn melodies to make them more singable, Indelible Grace. Um, we sing a couple hymns that they've rewritten Mm -hmm. here at the vine. Um, really great stuff. And you had that type of thing coming out. And then you had like Keith and Kristen Getty starting to write hymns and Christ Alone is the big one, right? Right. Um, And you started to see this realization, I think, that we could have a more uh, contemporary style, for lack of a better term, that was paired with richness and depth um, that maybe spans both new and old in song. Right. And then along with that, yeah, saying like, okay, we don't have to throw out these elements of worship, the call to worship, confession and assurance right. that have been mainstays of the church for hundreds or thousands of years right. um, in that. And that's really, really all along at the vine. That's been something I think we've um, prioritized mm-hmm. in our weekly service. Yeah. So I think along those lines, it might be good to just walk through our normal order of service. And 
Um, there's some elements that hopefully everyone recognizes as we talk through them. And I think week to week in the service, we try to remind the folks leading us in these elements to remind us why we're doing them. Right. But it's good to slow down here and just talk through why we do these things. Um, Zach, I remember, I'm going to share your anecdote for you, just talking about like growing up in the Lutheran tradition. Um, I think for people who did these things all the time, if they weren't explained well from time mm-hmm. to time, maybe they maybe get dry, right? It's just for like sure. a thing you're checking the box on every week. Yeah. Like, um, that was one of the things that I really appreciated when I would visit other churches. Sometimes you would hear someone explain like, this is the Lord's supper and this is why we do it. This is um, a genuine, heartfelt um, giving people assurance that their sins are forgiven. And and the challenge with a repetitive struggle, I mean, anything be- can become rote. Mm-hmm. Um, repetition can breed contempt, you know? Yeah. And Or, or repetition can just breed... Um, checking your brain at the door and just like blah, 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 blah. The guys up front or the gals up front reminding us of what we do every week. And it's the same script and it doesn't feel like there's any heart in it. Um, it doesn't have to be that way, but that's one of the challenges that is often present in, um, in, um, in any liturgy that's repetitive. And so that's one of the things that, that, um, we really want to underscore is, we want people to understand why we do the elements that we do. And that's probably one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when these elements are paired with understanding and with heart and with engagement, um, it becomes a, a meaningful embodiment of the gospel on a week to week basis, right? We walk through who God is, um, who we are in light of that, um, responding to that. That's what we all do when we come to faith in Jesus, right? right. We, we learn of who God is, who we are in light of it, uh, and we respond in faith. And, and that's really what we invite our church to do on a weekly basis. We need to re-embody uh, what we believe in every week. So we lead it off with the call to worship. Now, you know, to kind of rip a little bit on how this can go completely off the, the wrong end, you can imagine like every church has to start this somehow, right? Um, you, we've all probably been places where the service leads off with some half-hearted jokes, right? Like right. we're going to get the crowd warmed up a little bit, that type of approach. Sometimes you'll see a place with a warm-up song, nothing wrong with that. Sometimes a friendly welcome, that's, yep. that's a good thing. But we start typically with scripture, mm-hmm. Why do we do that? Yeah, because um, God reveals himself in the Bible like he comes to us. Um, that's the pattern of revelation, whether it's God showing up to Moses, God showing up to Isaiah in the temple. Um, God initiates and we respond. God calls us to worship him. He shows up to Abraham. I mean, uh, he, he shows up to Paul, knocks him off his horse. Um, there's so many biblical examples where where God calls us to worship him. And that's really what the call to worship is. It's not us kind of sauntering into God's presence um, with a sense of entitlement, but it's rather God calling out to us and saying, this is who I am, come and worship me because um, my glory is for your good. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, 
to put on my um, nerdy Greek glasses here, right? The word for church in the New Testament is ekklesia, which right. is literally called out ones. Right. And so the, the church service being called to worship God, it, it echoes how we're called to Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, theologians who are probably not much fun at parties would say, well, there's only <laughs> one call to worship, David. That's when you're called to faith in Jesus Christ. That's true, right? Yeah. All of our life after faith in Jesus is worship of God. But when we come to the church service, we're reminded of that reality by being called in this time to right. refocus ourselves on him. We're here for a purpose. Yep. We're here to direct <clears throat> to God the glory that is his. Yep. It's, it's a real framing of the service. Um, it, like you could start the service with a joke or like, uh, hey guys, whatever, you know. And, and at the end of the day, that might not be sinful necessarily, but how much better to have your mind um, and heart captured by um, a, a statement like, come, come to the waters, come you who have no money, um, who have no wine or milk, come drink and be satisfied. And that's a paraphrase of uh, Isaiah 55. Um, but like where God is beckoning us or just drawing our attention away from ourselves and toward the greatness of, of who he is. I think it's like a, it's a grace and a mercy to us as well. I think, you know, I love to come to church, like prepared to focus on God and engaged in that and rested. But more often than not, I'm up in the middle of the night, Saturday with the kids right. and Sunday morning in the house doesn't go well. And we're rolling in maybe on time, maybe right. not. And, you know, if we just like dove right in, I'm not there, right? Mm -hmm. I need to be reminded of who God is and that he's kind to me, that he's merciful. Um, And that reminds me and that engages my heart. um, And that leads us into singing. Right. Right. Um, We also, I think here at the Vine, try to structure kind of the types of songs that we move through in the service to kind of match this stage of initially revelation and then response. Right. So let's maybe talk, what are some of the things we might sing about in songs at the start of the service typically? Yeah. So, yeah, we, we really want to try to have songs that are more about God um, when we, when we kick off our service and less how we feel about God. Now, this is tricky and I've, you know, I've, I was a worship leader full time for about 13 years and some songs aren't always cut and dry along those lines. So we're doing the best that we can, but you know, a, um, a classic, uh, this is who God is kind of song. Um, again, if I don't have the song memorized, you might be able to pull me aside and be like, no, there's a lot of emotion in response you know, to that song. But like, a, and David, you can chime in here, but like some of the classic hymns, like, oh, worship the king, um, a mighty fortress is our God. Um, the, the focal point of a mighty fortress is who he is and what he's done more than here's how I feel about yeah. that. You know, um, you know, there's, um, uh, let's see, what, what's a more of a contemporary example um, I'm thinking of like, um, uh, the song we sing, um, we could sing behold our God, right. Yeah. Who has yep. held the oceans in his hand. Yep. Right. And yep. we do respond in that, right. but we respond in, we respond in adoration uh, in our proclamation of who our God is. Yeah. Like we sing a song, um, um, Oh, um, 
our great God, mm-hmm. uh, eternal God, unchanging, um, merciful, unknown, your boundless love. Um, I'm going to butcher the lyrics. Unfading. Unfailing. Like Unfailing. Grace and mercy, <laughs> mercy shown. shown. Yeah. Yep. So like these are just things about God. So it just, again, it orients ourselves to who God is and what he's done. And that's the, the theme of the scriptures over and over again. God reveals himself and he says, this is who I am. And this is what I I do. And uh, then people are called to respond to that. And that's seen um, ultimately in the Old Testament when God shows up all over the all over the place in Abraham, Moses, David, Solomon, um, and then preeminently in Jesus. Yeah, I mean, when I'm really feeling spicy on a Sunday morning, I try to work in a song in those first two that tells us the story of the gospel. Right. 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 Uh, we might sing a song about who God is um, broadly as our Creator, as our sustainer. Um, but then also telling the story of how Jesus came and saved us. Right, um, retell right. that story as a church. Um, and that really leads well into confession, right? right in, in light right. of that. Um, one thing that I think is unique about how we think about songs at the start of the service, I remember when I was in high school, you know, leading songs at youth group, I was pretty convinced at that stage that you had to like always start with a good upbeat song <laughs> totally. and then you slow that thing down, yeah, slow right? Down. Like yeah. you, you slow that right down and you, you work it. And <laughs> you know, it's true. It really is true. That was me too. And as much as I love to find a good upbeat song to start one, sometimes upbeat songs are actually hard to find that are quality for and sure. well-written and for sing sure. well for the congregation. Um, but we'll often start off with a moderate tempoed song, which right. again is craziness to many churches, right. but often it's because that song is saying something important about God that's that right. we want to remember that yeah, morning. Yeah, just a few weeks ago, I opened up the service with Holy, 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 and that's a great example of this is a song about God. And and really, the why, why we emphasize this is because um, we don't want to have... Um, I think it, it can be easy to try to manipulate emotions and this is one of the dangers of music because music is powerful um and it does move our emotions and that can be a good thing or a bad thing you know think about movies like like try to imagine going to a movie without music i mean it sounds horrible right um they move our emotions god is god has um structured his creation to resonate with music and that's part of his good gifts um but the danger is you come into a service and you are asking a congregation to maybe at worst feel guilty if they're if we're singing a song that's pure emotional response to him and they're just not feeling it. Um, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Um, that can be really challenging if you haven't really met that emotion previously with some content about who God is so that you're responding uh, appropriately. Like, so, you know, when we were younger, we didn't have much thought about our order of singing. It was just like crank out some good worship songs, contemporary worship, blah, blah, blah. And at times it just felt kind of dead because it was all just songs singing about emotions that didn't have any content. But when you sing a song like in Christ alone, 
that has such rich content and then follow it up with a song that's more emotional in nature, that can be very appropriate, you know? Um, and so that's the reason why we, we structure things the way we do. One of the reasons is because we want our emotions to follow revelation of who God is, the, the, the content, the, the facts of who he's revealed himself to be so that our emotions can then hopefully be very authentic. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's, again, like a mercy there. I I think about how someone's going to walk through the doors of our church any given Sunday, more than one person who is depressed, who's maybe feeling distant from God. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, being reminded of revelation of who God is, is going to naturally move them by God's spirit to their emotions being positively refreshed toward God. Amen. But there's also going to be times where that won't happen. Mm -hmm. And having the content in our songs of confessing again who God is and what he's done for us, Mm -hmm. I think gives an opportunity to the weary and to the weak and to those who feel distant from God to take a simple step of faith, which is I'm not feeling it this morning, right? I'm feeling far off and I don't think I'm going to get to that place of feeling joy this morning. Mm but I love God yep. and I'm going to remember right now in this song, what he did for me. Mm-hmm. Right. Amen. And I'm going to sing this out of faith. I'm going to hear the people around me singing this out of faith. Yep. And I'm going to remember that God's good. Yep. Amen. Another classic example of this. And I was just reading about this, uh, in this book. Uh, it's actually a summer study this summer, um, called when people are big and God is small. And he was talking about the fear of the Lord and one of the classic examples of what we're talking about here is Job and Job is suffering just so horribly. And, you know, through the course of the book, he cries out to the Lord, like, why is this happening? Why is this happening? And, and, and he ultimately calls God to account to like answer him and, uh, to, to give him a a response. And, and, God doesn't give him a response that's satisfying to like, why do all these bad things happen? The response he gives him is, this is who I am, Job. This is the greatness of who I am and what I've made as creator. Yeah. Um, and it's, and, and as Job just kind of gets to sit at the feet of the greatness of just who God is, God just laying it out for him. This is who I am, Job. You need to know me um, and how you are in relation to me. Job, everything kind of gets relativized. Like he realizes that he and his problems are very, very small and God is very, very big. And um, there's such freedom in that. There's such freedom in that. And so, you know, it's kind of strange, but like if you're having a bad day and I feel this even for myself today or other times, like reading Job 38 through 41, where, where God just lays out, this is who I am. This is the bigness of who I am can in a strange kind of way, make you feel a lot better because for, for us, our problems seem huge, bigger than God at times. And when we soak in who God says that he is in chapters like Job 38 through 41, it reminds us actually he's bigger than our problems and that stirs our heart to worship. So that's just kind of another angle on what we we've been talking about here and why we structure our services the way we do. 
Yeah, that's great. And when we as the church are gathered, we're kind of peeling back the curtain and we're seeing what's really true, right? That mm-hmm. Jesus is on his throne, Amen. Um, that that is real, that is true, that is our mainstay um, as we walk through this life. As we reflect on that every week, we then remember in light of who God is, who are we? Mm-hmm. And that leads us into confession and assurance. And if you ever, you know, whenever I'm service hosting end of October, start of November, right around Reformation Day, I'm going straight to Martin Luther uh, to lead us into confession. And he said his first theses of the 95 theses that he pinned up on the door and kind of kicked off the Reformation. He says, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Now, this doesn't mean that we're walking around, you know, flogging ourselves on the back. Um, It doesn't mean that we're always supposed to feel bad about things. Um, But it means a continual attitude of repentance. And Zach, maybe to move this conversation onward, why is a repetition and a routine of repentance important in the Christian life? Uh, I would say quite simply, it's because we're very forgetful people. And, um, you know, the Old Testament testifies to this over and over and over again, where God's people are called to remember who they are. They're called to remember the God who rescued them out of Egypt. And in light of their salvation physically from Egypt and spiritually, um, they are called to be a new people. Um, and so what's the tragedy of the old Testament is that they fail over and over again to remember who they are and who God is. And so, um, repetition really helps us, um, be reminded of what is true and who we are. And so, yeah, quite simply, we are forgetful people and I need to be reminded. I mean, I'm 46. I've been a Christian for probably, I don't know, 40 years. And, and every Sunday still, I'm like, yep, that's right. I I do need to confess my sins. I do need to make a habit of this right now in this moment uh, in a gathering on a Sunday morning, but also, um, every step of the way, um, in my relationships and, and with the Lord. Yeah, absolutely. Hebrews 3, um, quoting, I think, one of the Psalms, you know, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, right? Mm. Uh, There's a continual call to the church to um, respond in repentance and in faith toward Jesus. Um, And we forget and we need to be reminded. When we confess our sins, the next element that comes is an assurance, an assurance of pardon or assurance of salvation. What does that do for you on a weekly basis, Zach, to hear that proclaimed? Yeah. I, again, it's just, it's just the reminder, like, man, I just forget so often that my salvation is a gift um, of grace and mercy and I, I don't earn it. It's just a straight up gift. And when I understand that it humbles me and it, and it, um, makes me stand in awe of who God is. And so it's, um, it's the essence of the gospel. I mean, what we're, what we are working through as we talk through the, the structure of our service is just the progression of the gospel, how it works. God reveals himself. 
he's holy, he's awesome, he's creator, he's sustainer, he's savior. And and we all of a sudden know, that's not me. I need to repent of my sin because I am not God. He is. Um, I've tried to be God. I haven't listened to God. Uh, I've gone my own way. Um, and And God has made provision for that through our confession of sin and coming to Jesus there is an assurance that you will be saved. I mean, Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. And so um, there's different forms of assurance all throughout the scriptures. And so when we hear that on a Sunday morning repeatedly, it just helps us battle the unbelief of forgetfulness. Yeah, and every Sunday we get to repeat that, right? We get to remember the joy of our salvation yep. in Jesus. Yep. That's just a important thing for us to be reminded on a regular basis um, that our our life is secure in Jesus, that there's no condemnation for those mm. who have put their faith right. in Jesus. Um, every week, that reminder. And our singing underscores that in a helpful way. You hear it like declared from the front and there's something really powerful about that. And it's also really powerful when those truths are are put to melody and harmony. Um, and and we can, you know, my name is written on his hands. My name is written on his heart. Um, I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. I mean, that's like, wow. I mean, that's, I need I need that reminder. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We tend to then load songs after confession and assurance that both um, proclaim our surety of our assuredness of salvation, yeah. yep. um, but then respond to that, right? We've That's heard right. the good news. We've been reminded of the good news and we want to rejoice in that. That's right. And so, yeah, singing... Um, Songs like you said, or, oh, the love of my Redeemer, never failing, right? Come what may, he has purchased my forgiveness and washed my sins away. Let's sing that in joy um, and hear one another singing that as well. Yeah, amen. There's so many many great songs that call us to respond and stir up our hearts to, um, to rejoice, you know. And that's what's so beautiful about music as a gift. I mean, that God created it and he loves it. Um, you know, you can, you can say, um, some poetry that's really beautiful or you can, um, I can look to my wife and tell her I love her. But when I wrote her a song on our wedding day that I sang to her that I love her in a very poetic way that just lands different. And, and so God is so good to give us a means by which the, the raw facts of what has happened in the gospel can be met with, with music that's so emotional um, to just help us, to help us. And, and for sure there's dangers that we can worship the emotions or we can, um, you know, elevate the experience of certain feelings um, over and above uh, the, the, just the, the, the truth of who God is in the world. And sometimes we can feel bad if we don't feel some certain experience um, feelings are important, um, but you know they, they can't be made an idol. Um, and so, of course, there's dangers there. And and I've I've uh, I've been 
leading music in churches long enough to know that like, yeah, it's possible to move people in certain ways. And I mean, the, the dirty word would be a manipulation. Um, and that, I think that makes God, um, it really grieves the Holy Spirit. It makes me kind of feel sick if that's happening. I've never wanted to do that, but you can kind of sense that it's it's potentially possible. So if, all that to say is music has some dangers, but if we're aware of those dangers, it can it, it can be used as a beautiful gift that God commands in the Psalms over and over again, you know, yeah. in other places that um, we were just singing to him with trumpets and cymbals and blah, 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 blah. Um, so it's a good gift and, and I thank God that we have it. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, most musicians give them drum set and a bass and you can figure out kind of how to take the music where you'd want to, mm-hmm. to evoke an emotion. Um, but I think instead we would say we want to have the music fit the song, fit the mm-hmm. lyrics, mm-hmm. fit the place in the service, right? Mm-hmm. And in that sense, just as if you are feeling joy as you worship God, it's appropriate to physically and verbally express that as a member of the congregation. I think so also, if we're planning how we're going to play a given song, it's appropriate to have it follow where the song and the lyrics are right. taking you, right? right. Um, you know, I did this pretty intentionally a couple weeks ago, right? We sang two songs at the end of communion and or during communion. And the first song was a little... Um, was more reflective on our desire to be reunited with God Mm -hmm. in heaven, in the new creation. And then as we completed our time at the Lord's Supper, we transitioned more into a more rejoicing version of that. Mm -hmm. And I built the music there between those two, right? Like intentionally. And I think in that case, that can be very appropriate. It helps us lead where we're going. A similar example, I think about my experience in college. I went to a church where we sang just straight up hymns every week, and it was like 32-foot pipe organ kind of deal, yep. right? That's how I was raised and, and the dude on the pipe organ could play. And what I remember vividly is, um, you know, this is a church where they'd sing the four parts in the hymnal, but mm-hmm. often on the last hymn of the day, and on the fourth verse, he'd moved to kind of an alternate harmonization structure. And that made it like impossible to sing harmony. The effect being the entire congregation singing clearly in unison hmm. this proclamation of who God is, right? Yeah. And it's incredibly moving because you just felt the voices in the room move into that as well, where all of the voices are joining together. And that was just a beautiful example of how to use your instrument and use music to facilitate the congregation singing as they ought, given yeah. what we are singing. Yeah, amen. So I think I think there's a right way to do that that is appropriate. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of off on like some of my little side <laughs> side tangents here, but the other thing that popped out in what you said is as as a congregant, um what it can be if we see our time in the worship service as only or primarily emotional. And I think one thing that that can become is a performative thing. Right. Uh, I must feel this way or achieve this thing for God. Right. What are the dangers if we, if we view worship primarily emotionally? Hmm. Well, I know for me as a worship leader early on, um, like you would hear people say, 
man, worship was really good this morning. And, and I know what they meant. Um, but like, is worship ever not good? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yes. <laughs> I mean, yes and no. Right. But like in the new heavens and new earth, I don't think we'll be like, you know, man, the dude on the guitar was struggling, you know, uh, but what, what they meant though was like, uh, the, the production up f- on the stage was done adequately such that it wasn't awkward or whatever. And that people seem to be engaged in singing and that, that may or may not be a good thing that may or may not be a, um, like a marker of true obedience and true heart that is fully, um, fully given over to the Lord. I mean, Matthew 15, Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees and he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And so like on the one hand, uh, if you see people really responding emotionally, that could mean that God is really at work. It could just mean that they like a simple guitar line that's really executed perfectly and the drums are just really grooving. Um, so for me, like early on, I just, I think was, was, um, looking for people to respond. And if they weren't responding in a certain way, I would feel either like a failure, like I wasn't leading well. And it was my job to make sure that they were really responding to the Lord. Well, um, But as I've gotten older and just in my own experience, I've just learned that like, um, you know, what are we measuring and, and does that actually correspond to how Jesus defines discipleship, how the Bible defines discipleship? And so yes and no, like there's times, like if you read the Psalms, some very, very emotional responses. Like, have you ever lifted your hands in, in prayer? Like the Bible commands men to do that. Um, have you ever line, uh, lay, lay down prostrate before the Lord? I mean, that's, that's commended to you in the Psalms. Yep. Um, have you ever got on your knees in church? I mean, the Catholics do a good job at this. You know, we're not doing a good job of it, but we, that's we don't very, have the hardware to support <laughs> it's true. that. We don't, it's true. We just have a concrete floor right now. But, um, but yeah, I mean, those are, those are ways that our emotions can take physical, uh, uh representation, you know, that, that can be very important. Um, but you know, emotions for emotions sake, isn't going to take you very far. It should be. Um, like here's a, a, like an extreme example. And I heard a pastor talk about this a long time ago. It really marked me. And he was talking about more charismatic believers and he called it, um, you know, if, if you have to do quote carpet time to like show that you're serious about worship, meaning like getting slain in the spirit, if you've ever seen people do that, where the pastor will come over and put his hand on their forehead or whatever, and they fall to the ground in you know, if, if that's like the, the required response to like be a true worshiper of God, um, something might be off. But if you're hearing a sermon that Jonathan Edwards, again, I was reading this just today, uh, Jonathan Edwards preaching 
1751, an amazingly profound sermon, and people in his congregation were just falling on the floor in response. Um, so emotions, um, in some sense, should be present if God and his revelation are present in a very mm-hmm. clear and profound way. Um, but emotions for emotions sake may be very superficial in nature. And I, that was, a, I said a lot there. I'm not even sure if I answered your question. <laughs> yeah, I think you did, right? We, um, again, I think we should expect that there will be appropriate emotional, physical responses to mm-hmm. what we are singing about right. in church, but those are not the mark necessarily of you know, an obedient heart to God. Right. And the the role, I think this even gets into what is the role of the church service? What is the role of singing in the church? I think about Ephesians 5, right? Ephesians 5 says, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? And so, we're also kind of singing to one another as we worship God, um, building one another up, singing and the church service in the life of the church is worship of God, but it also has the purpose of building one another up in following him. Yeah. And there's some extent to which, you know, as, as a church musician, it's a fear of man thing as well. We sometimes will look out and be like, this looks dead out there right. and it can be super unnerving. Right. And frankly, it's a act of service to the church to keep leading right. <laughs> in that right. case. Right. Cause sometimes it's just like, I just want to go crawl back in my guitar case right. and hide. Right. But we're not seeking the outcome of one given Sunday. Right. One thing my, one of my friends said about preaching, I think it's also true about singing is you can't really tell by looking at someone whether they just ate an amazing steak. Yeah. But you can tell if they've been eating well for the last five years. Wow, that's really profound. Right. And so that's what we want, I think, here when we think about like as we sing as a church, like there may have, you may have times where you're like, yeah, that person just had a steak, right? right. Like they're really doing great. But what I'm more interested in as a church musician, as an elder at the Vine, is if people sing the songs we sing for five years, what role does that play in developing them in how they see God and how they see themselves? Amen. Yeah. I'll never forget. Uh, I was probably 24. I was a worship pastor in Iowa city, Iowa. And there was um, a woman that was a really gifted singer and she was very demonstrative up front. You would think that her, she was fully devoted to the Lord you know, every step of the way by how she carried herself on stage on Sunday morning. Um, and it turns out a year later, she had been cheating on her husband and they got a divorce and she deserted two young girls. And I just never forget that. Like, um, and that really connects with what you're saying, David, like we're not trying to get like, yes, your emotions should connect to, to who God is. Um, if, if you see and you really understand who God is and that doesn't move you in some sense emotionally, um, there might be a disconnect. I mean, and, and maybe over a long period of time, you would evaluate that too. But man, like 
what happens on a Sunday morning in terms of people's emotional response in our service may or may not be indicative of, of obedience and abiding in Christ. And that's what, like you were saying, that's what's most important. Like, are, are, are people ready to die well? Mm-hmm. You know, um, are we ready to lay down our lives for one another? Um, are we ready to, like, serve our city because they need Jesus? Are we ready to, like, be generous with our time? And are we ready to lay down our lives for our kids if we have kids? You know, all of these things um, are, are, are good fruits of the Spirit, whether you raise your hands in church or not may or may not be indicative of obedience um, in, as, as a lifestyle. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just think you make a really good point there, David, about um, what's going on in somebody's heart. It's hard to know. But, but what did Jesus say? Jesus says, you'll know them by their fruit. Yep. You'll know them by their fruit. And fruit takes a little time to grow. It does. When you plant an apple tree, like... We're waiting five years yep. till we get that first apple, you know? Yeah, man, there, there's so many other directions we could go in that space, you know, talking about music itself. But I think we should probably move on. There's a few more common elements of our service um, that I think we should talk about. So every week in the middle of our service, we have a time of prayer. Now, I kind of made the the comment earlier about prayer in some services as the transition piece. Right. Um, now, I'm guilty of this sometimes, kind of sneaking off the stage during prayer as a musician. I've mm-hmm. been trying to maybe be a little bit better about that. Now everyone's going to be watching for it. But we definitely don't see prayer as filling that role, no. right? It's not a transitional element. What is prayer in the life of the gathered church? Well, I mean, it's 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 uh, assumed biblically, like in the New Testament letters, that Paul is assuming that prayer is happening corporately in gatherings. You can see this in the book of First Timothy, um, where he talks about, you know, I, I want uh, men to raise holy hands in prayer, and um, so ultimately, it's a time where where we can just orient our hearts to God and where we can ask him um, for his will to be done um, on earth as it is in heaven. But there can be a lot of variety, um, but it's really good for us to pray together. Um, that's that's something that um, is very important in our services that, that we're, we're, it's not just me and Jesus, it's us and Jesus. And so when we're praying together, that's significant because it reminds us that we are a church. We are a family. We are in this together. Um, And so, you know, I think that's really one of the reasons why prayer is so important. And, um, you know, it's like we just, I'm not trying to get less prayer in my life. And this is... Um, just another very important part of Christian discipleship. And so it should be reflected in our services. Yeah. Yeah. I think prayer is also unique in the life of the church. You know, a lot of things we do in a church service happen in other things in our culture, Mm -hmm. right? Like the great example of singing is like, go to a sports game. You'll have 80,000 people singing a song together, right? Right. Right. Um, Preaching has at least a rough parallel in a TED talk or a corporate address right. or whatever it might be, right? Um, 
prayer kind of stands alone mm-hmm. and it's a unique thing that as Christians, as people who believe that we are creatures and God is our creator, mm-hmm. it's a natural response, right? right. It, it reflects our neediness, our creatureliness. Right. Um, and so even just the, the act of saying this is important in our gathering it acknowledges something about God and who we are as well. Yeah, it's it's the total submission. It's dependence. You know what I mean? Like it's the anti-American. Um, I can just do it myself. I'll figure it out myself. And prayer is the opposite of that. Like, Lord, I need you. It's like when we sing, Lord, I need you. Oh, how I need you. Prayer is just the embodiment of that song. Yeah. Um, like, I am contingent. You are, you know, you are the creator. And um, I'm finite and you're infinite. And so it models that. It's good for us to be to model that together. Yeah. Every week we have God's word preached, and this is probably an entire podcast on its own. Yep. Um, let's do this one in one minute or less. When you think about the time that we spend dedicated to preaching on a given week, what do you want our congregation to walk away from that time? Yeah. With. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, a, a great slogan that um, I've used when I've um, taught hermeneutics, that's just a big way of saying how to interpret the Bible correctly um, in Ecuador with other people. When you boil it down, uh, a good sermon should be, um, what is true and what am I to do? Mm. What is true and what am I to do? And so hopefully you can um, walk away from every sermon with that. You know, um, sometimes it's, it's, it's a weighted, what is true and a little bit of what am I to do? Um, sometimes the other way around, but ultimately like, why do we spend so much time opening the Bible? Well, if God is God and, and he is our creator and he has something to say, um, he, if he is our creator, sustainer and savior, and he has something to say to us as his creation, um, we would probably do really well to listen to that. You know, if it's true that God is God, um, man, I want to hear what, what God has to say. And, um, that's, what's so exciting is, you know, God, like Francis Schaeffer said, God is there and he is there and he is not silent. Now just having a God that's there, that's cool. But if he actually speaks and reveals himself, that's even better. And so that's what we believe as Christians, the Bible is. And so to like dive into it. And, and pick it apart and understand it um, in all of its diversity and beauty um, is it really, really good for us. And, and so ultimately, the Bible is the revelation of God's plan um, from creation to fall to um, redemption to consummation. Um, basically, all of human history is laid out in the Bible and how it all fits together and what the point is. And so it also helps orient us to who we are and how we function in the world. And so, um, yeah, I, I, in, in some, that was more than a minute. I'm sorry, David. Uh, God reveals himself. We should listen up. You know, like one of the most repeated things in all of the Bible is listen, 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 listen. You see it over and over if you're looking for it. And Jesus showed up and said, if you have ears to hear, listen up, you know, and the prophets in the Old Testament, listen up. And so it's so good for us to listen to our heavenly father. And, um, 
and it helps us orient to where we are in the world and why we are in the world. And those are really good things. That's a, yeah, that's, that's a really great summary. And, you know, I'd love to dive into that. I think maybe I'll give you the homework with the preaching team to circle up and do a <laughs> podcast on okay. preaching and how we as congregants should be thinking about our time sitting under the word yeah. every week. We transition from preaching to the Lord's table, to the Lord's supper communion, you know, uh, pick one of the three names out of the hat every week, what we call it. Um, Let's spend a little bit of time talking about um, that. Now, that's been one of the things that has stood out for me with the vine um, is it's the first church I've been at, and this has been true for 12 years, where we practice the Lord's Supper on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. Personally, I've loved that. Me too. Why did we start that way? You were there at yeah, the beginning. Right. Why did we start that way? And let's kind of talk about well, what we that just, does. We just felt so deeply like there were, you know, the Bible says, do this as often as you gather. So it seems like that's a pretty direct application, you know? And uh, I, I've just never, I mean, there's freedom. There's freedom, uh, I think, to, for other churches to practice things differently. But um, the the... The physical reminder of body and blood given for you is, again, it's just another reminder to forgetful people of the primacy of the gospel and why I need that and the progression of, of who is God and who am I and, and he is perfectly holy. I'm a sinner, but he's made provision for me to deal with that cosmic tension. And uh, it, it's, it's summarized in this picture of of the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world um that i incorporate into my body and it likes like singing it's it's mysterious it's not just something i hear it's actually something i experience with my taste buds and it goes into my body and that's a that's a powerful thing it's a picture and um and so why not do it every week you know it's uh, there's no reason not to, and the Bible seems to say that we should, and so that's what we do. Yeah. Yeah, I also, you know, in, in the Lord's Supper, in some form we do it together, right? And Paul's yes. teaching about it, he emphasizes, you know, is there not one cup and, you know... One loaf of bread. Ex- yep. yep, and 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 the point in that being the, the oneness of the church as they're yes. doing it. And so we always seek a way as the church, whether in pandemic times or not, that we can have unity in how we go about that. But it's also a reminder of this church family that God has given me and how we are united in Christ together, right? With one another and with the church around the world. Amen. I think the other thing that has been beneficial for me with the Lord's Supper on a weekly basis over the last 12 years is it's another one of those things that when I'm in a, you know, a season I would describe as spiritually dry, it's a simple act of faith mm-hmm. and obedience to remind me of who God is. Yeah. Right. And so I can be at a bad place. I can have had a bad week. I can feel distant from God, but God still is offering me on a weekly basis as I come to the church to remember who he is um, and to, in faith, be reminded that Jesus' body was broken for me and his right. blood was shed for me. Right. And I'm united with him and with his church because of that. Yep. Um, it's a it's a small and simple reminder and a mercy in that way yep. um, that we get on a weekly basis. Yeah, amen. 
Well, I don't want to restart any Reformation feuds by talking about communion too long. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I doubt that will take place at our church, but you know, never not know. between you and me either. Um, <laughs> you never know. But um, the final element of our service, aside from announcements, which I obviously love, um, I, I will it say important. it is important yeah. alignment of some of the purpose. And I, I would also say, I love that we put them at the end, yeah. um, you know, compared to at the start. Um, I think this is a really good thing. I've been to churches as a visitor and you lead off by hearing how, um, you know, Karen is coordinating the trip up to Lake, you know, yeah, whatever, yep. and make sure you talk to so-and-so about this. And you're a visitor. And I'm like, I'm starting with 10 minutes of, I have no idea what's going on yeah. right now. Yeah. And that can be very off-putting. It's, you know, not a condemnation on those churches. Um, I think announcements are important and, and need to be a part of the service. And we, we, we do them every week for a reason. Um, and they even fit into who we are and our purpose as a church. Um, but I, th- I think I, I like that they're at the end, not the very end. Right. The benediction. Zach, yeah. what is the benediction? <laughs> well, if my, if my Latin is correct... And your kids will correct you if it's not. <laughs> yeah. It, a benediction means a good word, I believe. And... Um, and basically, um, it is a word of blessing over God's people before they are sent out. And so, um, you we, you hear us say every Sunday, um, Vine Church, Vine Family, however it's said, Vine Church, Vine Family, you are sent. And that's very um, intentional. Jesus says, as I have been sent, so I send you. He says that to his disciples, go into the world, make disciples. And so we want to remind ourselves every week that we have been sent um, by King Jesus to make disciples. And so um, be blessed, know who you are, be reminded, you know, many different benedictions that we say, like, um, may the Lord bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine upon you, be gracious unto you. Um, now to him who can, who is able to keep you um, perfect from stumbling. You know, I don't have it memorized. Uh, the Jude doxology. There's other, many other famous ones. Those statements help remind us who we are and who God is for us. And that should empower us to be sent out to a world that needs him. And so that's really what it is. And in our framework of saying the church service is in a way a weekly reenactment of the gospel. This is appropriate, exactly. right? Exactly. End of Matthew, Matthew 28, Jesus sends his disciples out into the world, right? They've mm-hmm. seen who he is. They've been brought into his family. He's died and raised from the dead for their salvation. And then they are sent. Right. And as a weekly rhythm as our church, we're reminded of the gospel. And then we are again sent into the world. Yeah. And that's the progression. God shows up. He reveals himself. Human beings fall short of his glory. Thus, we have to confess our sins. He makes provision for that in the gospel. And then those that are redeemed and saved are sent into the world. That's just the biblical pattern. And so it's a great way to reenact um, the, the God's movement with his people throughout history in a weekly structured service. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So as we kind of 
land this plane, you know, similar to a sermon, what's true, what do I do? As a Christian, as a uh, member of the vine, what can we kind of take from what we've heard about why our service is structured the way it is, why we sing the songs we sing? Um, what would you say to our church that way? Help me understand the question again, bud. What, what are like the takeaways for our church coming out of this? Well, I would say, I mean, real simply, like, um, make Sunday morning a priority. Um, it's for your good. And, you know, I remember as a kid, it's like, blah, I got to go to church. My parents make me go to church. Um, I didn't get it. And now, as I look back, um, even in that Lutheran church, it, it was a good church. It preached the gospel. Um, I became a Christian um, probably in that church in some sense. Um, and I, did, I, didn't, I didn't understand it, but that's one of the reasons why this podcast exists that we're doing right now. So to help you understand why we do our Sunday morning the way we do it. And so thus, it should help us understand why we should make it a priority. Yeah. Because... Man, like singing the great truths of God's word, that does something to my heart. And confessing my sin just helps me um, be honest with the Lord. And then to hear that I've been forgiven because of the gospel. I mean, man, I forgot that this week. I need to be reminded of that. And to sit under the authority of the preached word, to that God of the universe has something to say, and that applies to my life, like that's a really big deal, you know? So I think real practically, um, we don't, like a lot of times people ask us, well, what, what do we do with the vine for discipleship? And I would say, man, like one of the big things we do is we have a Sunday gathering. Yeah. You know? And what, when people ask that question, what they mean is like, do you have a program where I'm going to go and be discipled by someone or get an accountability group? And that's, all of those different forms of doing, um, you know, Christian formation and discipleship, they can be good. But I feel like too often we diminish the role of Sunday morning and the, mm-hmm. and the, and the primacy of it. The It's the place where we take the Lord's Supper. Um, it's the place where we see one another and we're gathered and, and relationships can be can be built and the one another's of the new Testament can happen lots of places, but they can really happen on a Sunday morning when we see each other, you know, um, what would you say? Yeah. I mean, I would echo that for sure. Um, I remember some of the advice a pastor friend gave me as I moved to Madison, taking a job at Epic. He's like, okay, I know what that kind of, what kind of job that is. You're going to be busy. You're going to be traveling. And he's a pastor out in the DC area, has a lot of government employees, you know, contractors who are super busy and what he said is like, hey, like he knew I was a Bible major. You know, I spent four years getting to read the Bible and theology pretty much as my job, right? Like my walk with Jesus can't look exactly like it did, right? I don't get to spend 30 hours a week reading theology. Right. So if I measure my spirituality by that, I'm going to miss. Mm-hmm. But what he said was like, yes, like seek to read the word regularly and have a prayer, but be realistic that the primary thing that you should seek is to be in church on a weekly basis. And I'm not perfect in that. No one's ever going to be, you know, 52 out of 52. Um, But he really emphasized the primacy of that in my discipleship. Um, And I've really found that to be true, right? There's been a lot of ebb and flow in other elements of what it looks like for me to walk with Jesus over the last decade. But 
I would say like the primary force in my ongoing growth in following Jesus is coming to church on a weekly basis, sitting under the word preached, being reminded of what is true, singing what is true. Um, That's that's so formative. I remember, I think it was Martin Lloyd-Jones. I could be wrong on this, but I think it was him. He was a famous preacher um, in uh, in the UK uh, roughly 80 years ago, I think. Um, I could be wrong on that too. But anyway, very famous preacher, wrote some books. Um, and I remember one of the things he would do is before someone would come to him in counseling, he would say to them, before I meet with you, uh, I want you to go to church every Sunday for six months. And then we'll talk. And his, his, his comment about that was that oftentimes those people, the, the problems just kind of went away. Now, of course, there's, there's, there's going to be problems in our lives that your church attendance may or may not solve necessarily. But the, the point should be taken that like when I sit under God's word and when I sing with God's people and when I taste and see that God is good through the Lord's Supper and when I do the one another's in the New Testament, when I see one another in the lobby, like that does something to my heart. I, I can give you another just testimony of this. When I was on the road as a musician, um, I spent a whole summer basically away from church because uh, we were on the road every weekend and this was, you know, 2005. So this is a while ago. But um, I just remember sitting in church on Sunday morning the next fall and it just washed over me like, wow, this is an oasis to be gathered with God's people. I haven't done this all summer. I've like skipped church because of my job for three months in a row. And I remember just sitting there going, man, this, this church service is a really beautiful thing. Not a perfect church, you know, whatever. That wasn't the point. It was just like, I just, I'll never forget that. Like feeling like, man, I was so thirsty and I didn't even know how thirsty I was until I started to drink. And that moment and that summer really marked me um, with the importance of, of gathering with God's people. Yeah, I remember when I came back from a year as a missionary in China, and we had you know a great community there, and I worshiped with a Chinese church there, different stories with that. But coming back to America and being in a church service where I understood everything and mm-hmm. where it was you know uh, digestible in that way, um, by the time we got like halfway through the singing, I just like sat down and just cried and yeah. wept for. 15 minutes straight because it was so overwhelming to be gathered with the church in that way. Um, And so I think with all of this, you know, as we say, like the importance of the church service, we're not trying to come at people and be like, why aren't you at church? Like, we're going to get you. Exactly. We're commending the goodness of it. We want to remind you as our church that it's good to be gathered. It's good to be reminded of these things. It's good to sing praises to God and it's good for you. Amen. Along those lines, you know, again, this is this is not a come at you thing, but I'd also say like, come on time. Yeah. You know, we just talked through um, why we've ordered our service the way we do, mm-hmm. and it's all on purpose. And I would say that if you miss the call to worship, you're missing out. Yeah. If you drop in halfway through confession and assurance, you're missing out, right? Yeah. And I have kids. We, we're late sometimes. It's going to happen. But um, I would say, like, man, really try to come on time. Um, everything we're doing is structured 
to build you up in Christ. And we really want that for you on a weekly yeah, basis. Amen. Or even show up at 930 and just talk to people. You yeah. Know, relationships are a really big deal. And um, there's always people milling around and um, visitors. So, yeah. Visitors too. It's like, you that, know, <laughs> <laughs> that's something we've talked about as elders, you know, uh, that sometimes it's hard for like right at 10, the only people in the room are visitors and then they might feel awkward. And so, you know, when it's a visitor because they're there 10 minutes early, exactly looking around <laughs> and it's good for us to welcome them, you know? Yep. And so, yeah, but I mean, I really appreciate this discussion, David. I, I, I think there is um, a lot here for people to to think through and um, it's a good summary of, of why we do what we do on a Sunday morning. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Until next time, thanks for joining us at uh, the Vine Conversations podcast. And um, again, thanks again for David Jordan to for sitting in as an elder and helping us think through these things. Um, if you have any questions about anything that we talked about, feel free to reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you as always, and uh, we'll see you next time.